Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Not So Native Podcast. Let me introduce your host. My name is Rob Lamb. And I'm Aaron Bailey. Kick back and let us take you on a journey as we explore some of Arizona's most fascinating people, places, and things to do. Are you ready? Are you looking to make your next vacation remarkable? Call Ted Vershuren with Cruise Planners, an American Express travel representative, 1-800-590-4108, or visit tlccruisestoreandmore.com. From cruises to land tours and complete vacation packages, when you're thinking of vacations, think Ted with Cruise Planners, where all you have to do is pack. 1-800-590-4108, or visit tlccruisestoreandmore.com. In beautiful Litchfield Park, Arizona, talking with the curator of the Litchfield Park Museum, Judy, Judy Cook. Cook. Sorry about that, Miss <laughs> Judy. I, I hesitated there when I looked right at you. I apologize. So, Judy, how did this place get here? How did we get to know? How do we get Litchfield Park? Okay, a lot of what happened out here in the Southwest Valley of Phoenix began 101 years ago. It was 1916 and a young superintendent from the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company in Akron, Ohio, was sent out here to talk to local farmers and ranchers about the idea of growing what they called long staple cotton for the company in Akron. Uh, Staple refers to the length of the cotton fiber and long staple means it's a very long fiber. And the interesting thing about cotton is that cotton fiber is like a straw. There's a hole down the middle of it and you can twist that fiber and it's quite strong. So there were two places in the world at that time where you could get this long staple cotton. One was in Egypt and we were right in the middle of World War I and the German U-boats were patrolling the Mediterranean Sea and going up the west coast of Europe. So you couldn't get through to the Nile River Valley to get that long staple cotton. It was virtually impossible. And whatever got out went to England for the war effort because the, um, the English occupied Egypt at that time. The second place was along our barrier islands off the southeast coast of uh, the United States, and all of that cotton was infested with boll weevils. Boll weevils are a kind of nasty little insect that gets into that bud of the cotton and and destroys it, and then the cotton never blossoms. So the government had done studies out here in the Salt River Valley uh, with the supposition that the area was very similar to Egypt and that you could probably grow cotton out here. And indeed, there were people out here growing it. So Litchfield came out and he talked to farmers and ranchers and he said, please grow this cotton for us. We need it for our tires. And that cotton would have been transported back to Akron, Ohio, woven into a cloth that would be embedded into the tire tread to make those tires more puncture proof because at that time they were moving from solid tires to air inflated or pneumatic tires. So it's kind of like Mm -hmm. the earliest version of uh, radial tires, if you will. That's fascinating. So he came out here and the farmers and ranchers would have none of it. (laughs) 
They said, we aren't going to do this. This is too risky. So Paul Litchfield went back to Akron and he talked to his superiors and he said, let's go out and buy and lease our own land out here and we'll grow our own cotton. And his superiors bought it. And so in 1917, very early 1917, they started two ranches. One down here in Chandler, you can see on this map, that's a little uh, south and slightly west of Old Town Chandler. And then the Litchfield Ranch out here, which covered quite a large area at that point, but got even bigger. They um, got a crew of people together that could strip the land, dig the canals, dig the wells, uh, plant the cotton and wow. pull out that harvest and most of those people came from Mexico at that time or from Mexican immigrants to this country. People who had been here for maybe as long as a century who were working in the mines, the mines in Arizona and New Mexico or they were doing farming over in California. So they decided that this was a better opportunity for them than uh, working down in the mines, which is extremely dangerous. Better to be on top of the ground than under it. Hmm. So he recruited all of those people, and then he recruited, recruited a large group from Mexico, uh, got a special dispensation from the government that they could come up here and work for six months and then go back home for six months. So that all happened, and uh, they accomplished all of that. They started two small towns, Litchfield Park, and a small town in Chandler that they called Goodyear. And they developed a school, they had some housing, uh, the start of a church, they stripped the land, they dug the canals, they planted the seed, and they got a harvest out by the fall of 1917. Wow. Which seems incredible. <coughs> so it only took about 10 months or so to put all of that into um, production, which by today's standards seems amazing because yeah. it's so hard to get things moving today. <laughs> um, the more we study about these people in the first half of the 20th century, the more we realize how on task they were and kind of a can-do spirit. And Tenacious. Just, yes, and they just got to it and did it. So those two ranches started, and then a couple of years later, they started a third one up in the Sun City area that was called Marinette Ranch. This is what Paul Litchfield looked like when he was a young man during that time period. A uh, very nice looking man. And um, he fell in love with Arizona. It was magic for him. And in particular was the hill behind us. Hmm. So this production was going along well under the auspices of the Southwest Cotton Company when um, there began to be a change. This is the summer of 1920, and you see the cotton that they grew out here that they call Saraville. Uh, Goodyear coined that word. It's yeah. a contraction of Salt River Valley. Which and you know that there's a road out here named yeah. Saraville, yeah. and there was a Saraville cotton. So in the summer of 1920, things were humming along. No idea. I had no idea either. That's, that's great news. And that's by the way, what's she's, fun about she's history. pointing at a picture that's a wagon, a couple of flatbed wagons that have about... 50 bales of cotton on each one of them. Yeah, and it's an ad in Saturday Evening Post, which some of, some oh, wow. of us remember, yeah, but yeah. you two are too young. I'm, I remember looking <laughs> at them at the barbershop. Okay, so um, 1920, World War I is over, 
And just like other times down through history, when things change in another part of the world, it begins to shift everything else. So as the economy was coming back in Europe and they didn't need so much trade from us, then the market falls out from under cotton. Mm. People cancel their tire orders and it all kind of crashed. And we went into um, a fairly severe depression in 1920. So when that happened, uh, people were let go at Goodyear. Uh, Paul Litchfield talks about having a department of 43 individuals there who did advertising for Goodyear, and he was left with three. So this idea of businesses folding and growing and so forth, it's not a new thing. That's mm. happened forever. It's the life Paul Litchfield was still a factory superintendent at that time, and he saw the morale in the company really dropping, and it disturbed him. And so he went out on the floor of the uh, factory, and he got up on the table, and he talked to his men in the factory, and he said, I know you are discouraged. I know we are going through terrible times. The company was practically bankrupt. But he said, you are good people, and if you just stay with me and work with me, we will bring this company back. They believed him. Well, very And the company uh, did come back. And by 1926, Paul Litchfield rose to be president and CEO of the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. And he brought that company to be the leading tire manufacturer in the world. Fascinating. He also developed, if you can swing around here, you'll see the Wingfoot logo. That Wingfoot logo is the logo that Paul Litchfield designed for the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, and it has still remained as a logo. If you look at the tires out at PIR, I guess it has a new name now, but at PIR, all those racing tires are Goodyear, and they have that same Paul Litchfield logo on them. And uh, it's a foot with a wing because it that time transportation was really taking off and moving people quickly. Yet another connection in the Southwest Valley. Yes. In Phoenix, Arizona. Yes. You've got Goodyear, you got Paul Litchfield. Yes. You got Goodyear Tires. You connect that with the Phoenix International Raceway or and their whatever tires. the name of it is. Yeah. And their tires. It's just it's it's amazing, amazing. amazing connections. We Little always known laugh. secrets out here. Six degrees of separation. <clears throat> Absolutely. So, 1920 was a turnaround year out here. Paul Litchfield during the 1920s bought this property that we're standing on on the hill behind us because he loved Arizona. And um, he wanted to stay here, but they didn't know what they were gonna do with the land because they were going through such dire financial straits in, um, in Akron. But he hung on to it. And during the 20 years, during the 1920s, 1930s, they turned this property into what they called an experimental farm. And this became the hotbed for farming, not only nationally, but internationally. We have a picture over here of the former Shah of Iran who came here to study the irrigation farming. Wow. They had a whole contingency of about 20 people from the Middle East. Uh, farmers from all over the country came here to study the methods. Uh, they had irrigation farming, they had um, uh, they had rotation of crops, they had soil conservation, water conservation, but the most amazing thing that they did out here was test the tires that were put on the farm equipment. That was all developed out here. So, oh, wow. so all the farm equipment went from manual labor 
to what they called rolling on rubber. And those tires were tested right out here off Litchfield Road. Wow. And it became Goodyear Farms. So we have that change happening. That change happened in the middle of World War II. And we're now in the gallery that we call our company town gallery. This goes through those first decades of the 20th century, moving from the time they settled this area all the way up to Paul Litchfield's death. So you see all of those transitions as we go through here and especially World War II. I mentioned to you before, down at the bottom of Litchfield Road, down where the Goodyear Phoenix Airport is, they began a new business. It was another subsidiary of Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, and it was called Goodyear Aircraft. This <coughs> is on Goodyear land. They stripped the land and started building it in August of 41. And if you remember, Pearl Harbor was in mm. December of that year. So they knew that the war was coming. Mm-hmm. And Goodyear worked very closely with the Navy. I know your dad, I guess, was in the Navy. Yeah. Well, he was his father. My dad was in your the Navy. Yeah. And okay. his dad My was, father uh, worked for Goodyear. Okay. Right. So, yeah. so Paul Litchfield worked very closely with the Navy. At this time, we had no official Air Force. Anybody who flew planes right. uh, did it under the auspices of the Army or the Navy. Uh, Goodyear worked closely with the Navy, and down at the bottom of the road there, Litchfield Road, where the airport is, you see the start of the runways that turned into the airport that we have today. And they had Goodyear Aircraft, which made the um, flight decks for the PB2Y3s. These were uh, flying boats that they used in World War II, extremely important. They uh, put together and assembled this factory in just weeks and it was a huge operation and each one of these flight decks had to be waterproof and if it wasn't waterproof it had to be re- taken apart and reassembled so that was amazing when did they start with the blimps there so in in this room you can see all the different pictures and as time goes on but there's a picture of blimps and there's a couple pictures of women working to sew the, the blimp skin yeah, together. actually they weren't sewn. They were glued with what I told was a very noxious glue. Oh. And uh, they made these blimps. The blimps were used, I think, as early as 1906 by the Navy, and they were used for reconnaissance. They would fly them over the boats in the ocean so that the blimp could look down, you know, from the gondola and see those U-boats. Mm-hmm. And then they'd radio down to the ship and warn them, you have a U-boat off starboard or wherever. So blimps were made by Goodyear and used for reconnaissance till the 60s, believe it or not. And then the company evolved into what was called Goodyear Aerospace. And we have one of the um, the first production radar that was formed there that was used again for reconnaissance. And you can see all the plane pictures and the reconnaissance pictures with them for that particular time period. The amazing thing about Goodyear Aerospace and later on to become Lockheed Martin is they also created what's called synthetic aperture radar. Correct. That's when we can see through the bushes. There it is, synthetic aperture radar. Yeah, there it is. Fascinating stuff. And the man who worked on it lives in Litchfield Park. Yeah. Another little interesting tidbit before we leave this gallery is um, you can see the Popeye balloon there. Yeah, oh yeah, I was going to ask about that. Goodyear makes the Macy's 
Thanksgiving Day balloons and uh, assembles them. And a number of them were assembled down here at the base of the road, the base of Litchfield Road. Wow. And Popeye was one of them. And then those balloons are flown in the parade and then they're, the um, helium is taken out of it. And then they're put in a, a box about the size of a desk and shipped down to a place in Georgia where they're warehoused for uh, till the following year. The balloons only last about five years. Wow. So, yeah, not very long. So huge operation here in uh, the Navy and reconnaissance that's and the, so forth. That's the Blackbird. Was it the SR-51 Blackbird? SR-71 Blackbird. Yeah. We had a young boy in here who was dying to go to the Air Force Academy and couldn't get him off those pictures. He was really <laughs> hung. Okay, so we've got this gallery and then this is another changing gallery in here. Um, we have in here a time period after Paul Litchfield died when they attempted to turn Litchfield Park into one of the American Newtowns, like Reston, Virginia. Mm, okay. And so it was a, going to be a huge piece of property here going from the Agua Fria out to Cotton Lane from where we're, we are now down to I-10, and it never happened. The only village that was built was the one that turned into Litchfield Park. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it fell apart primarily because they couldn't get I-10 out here quickly enough. Ah, uh, yes. It took yes. 20 years. You know how that goes. Yes. Well. Okay. Then back in this gallery, we have um, our early Mexican-American heritage out here group of Mexican-Americans came up here to work on the land initially and also okay. others from other states uh, came here and this is the way they did it by hand. We have a lot of pictures here showing how hard that labor was. And what people don't know about cotton, if I may <laughs> interject, I'm sorry. Sure, go ahead. Is I grew up in South Texas and they grow a lot oh, of yeah. cotton down there. And the thing about cotton is it is not a very nice plant. No. Once once it gets to the point where you could pull the cotton off, all the leaves are dry and sharp and there's Cut your thorns hands. and yeah. my hands today because I work in an office most of the time would just be bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> I hear I hear that a lot. Although a lot of them tell me that they did use gloves, but it really is hard on the hands. And of course when you have gloves on it's hard to grab the cotton. We do have a replica here that's done toward um done to the design of a 1920 bag and so we love to get this out and show this to the kids and have them try it because kids used to do this <laughs> anyway we have here the history of that mexican-american community because um many many of those people stayed many and applied for citizenship others were already here and had been here for 100 years their families so we have a huge history of this particular um, pioneering group in the Southwest Valley. Uh, rather an amazing group and we have lots of personal stories about them. We have done a DVD and a book on these people and you can see how it transitioned from the early housing where they had adobe. Mm -hmm. You can see that mm -hmm. into these very modest uh, wooden houses like this one. Now there's some buildings or Adobe looking buildings up, is it Dysart? No, it's, it's Litchfield Road up north of here. Oh, Tawiwi? Is north of Luke? 
Yeah, well, As you're yeah. going north, okay, uh -huh. and off to the left, north mm -hmm. of Luke, you'll see the ranch. That's the old Tawili Ranch. And those buildings are very old, and uh, they grew a lot of grapes. Oh, we have oh. um, a label in the other room from one of their... And that wasn't part of Litchfield Park at all? No, oh. but interestingly enough, people who worked here often changed and went up there to work and back and forth. Well, sure. So oh. people did know... The people who worked at that ranch is a pretty tight community at that time. Um, if you live 10 or 20 miles away, you were neighbors. Yeah, well, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a, this is a great exhibit. It's, it's full of great pictures and descriptions of the pictures. I spent a lot of time trying to explore the, the history of the stories. The, yeah. The, the Hispanic wonderful. culture in the Litchfield Park yeah. area. And this is particularly interesting because back in 1917-18, you know, cranking back to that World War I period, there was a huge uh, Spanish flu pandemic. I'm sure mm -hmm. you've heard of that. Millions died. Mm -hmm. Well, it reached Litchfield Park. And that the reason that we have the start of this cemetery, the Goodyear Farm Cemetery, Historic Cemetery, which is in Avondale, is because of that Spanish flu pandemic. So that wow. cemetery was started there. It's still there. Uh, they have annual Day of the Dead celebrations there, and you can go hmm. and see the cemetery now. Where's this located at in Avenue? Yeah, it's uh, off of Indian School, south about two blocks on Santa Fe. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So it's really really a special place. People are still buried there today if they can prove that they worked for Goodyear Farms. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So that happens periodically. Fascinating. So. If I came up with this picture here of the church. old church, is that, okay, that is part of the St. Thomas yes. Commission. Yes. This is right there. across from the wigwam. The building is still extant, and um, we were hoping, the city owns it right now, and then they rented it to the big church and they were going to bring it back to the way it was at that time. And then the church gave it back to the city right now because they built this huge new high school. Mm -hmm. But the big St. Thomas Aquinas grew out of this little mission okay. church. Okay. Yeah. That's, wow. yeah, they're connected. So when I went to speak to the kids over at St. Thomas, you know, the grade school kids, and told them where their church started, they were amazed that it was that little church and they could still see yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah, because it's so big now and beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. These people were amazing. And this is all relatively recent history that you could still years. touch and yes. you could still talk to the person who knew this person yes. and they'll tell you their story. They will. And they come in and they do. And we're just, we really feel like we're blessed that we have all that personal history. We have a, over 200 oral histories now. Um, many of those people have passed, but we have recorded their stories. So we're creating quite a substantial archive of the history of the Southwest Valley. Wow, that's I, I am still blown away by the the Sarival thing, Salt River Valley. Yeah, yeah I, I'm still clever. <laughs> I like it. That's fascinating. Yeah. So just a quick aside. Yes. As, as we get ready to wrap up. Yes. You've got some peacock feathers here. There's a story yeah. of. Mauna Loa, and tell us the story of 
the peacocks. Yeah, how did, why peacocks in Arizona, okay. for goodness sakes? There, there were lots of peacocks at one time, and I've had many people who grew up on farms out here tell me that their father would keep a couple of peacocks in their yard close to the hen house. And the peacocks apparently are predators for snakes. And it would keep the snakes out of the hen house because if the snakes got in the hen house, they would eat the eggs. Mm. So peacocks were kept on the farm. Some of them I've even heard they there's a little mechanism in the throat that makes that awful screech. And they'd have that taken out so it wouldn't drive them mm. crazy. Mm. But anyway, oh, at sure. the top of the hill here, <laughs> yeah. there were over 30 peacocks at one time. So I imagine it was to keep the snakes away, but well, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, Paul Litchfield and his wife lived up here, and then they had two other cottages for their two daughters and their families. And when the Litchfields were gone, the property was taken over by his youngest daughter and her husband, and they lived up there, and they kept the peacocks, and his youngest daughter uh, would feed them. And so she called them all George. And so in the evening when she was ready to feed them, she'd go outside and call George and they'd all come flying in. And apparently there's a pecking order to the way they nest. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, then she would feed them. And that was just her way of controlling that huge flock. The last one uh, was killed here in 2014. Um, somebody was watching over him, one of the workers up there, and uh, used to call the last peacock Manolo. And so he made this little homage to the last George. And you got some of was, his feathers that look like. Was, yeah, and he was killed by a coyote. Mm. The natural order. So sure. we do have peacock feathers from up there. Yes. Well, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating exploration. It's a I would fun place. I would encourage anybody who is interested in finding out more about Arizona history, of finding out about where we come from. Aaron, what are your what's your take on on this place? I didn't know majority of it. Even my my father's even history. Even you're of, native. I'm a native. <laughs> even my father, you know, worked at Goodyear Aerospace and yeah. We're grown. I got I've had a poster of the SF seventy one on on my my wall growing up because that was yeah. what I knew that's what dad. Is your dad still around? He is, yeah. You need to send him up here so yeah. we can do an oral history of him. Okay. okay. Yeah, I would I love certainly, that. I will certainly introduce him on I know another guy who helped work on that synthetic aperture radar. I'll send him your way as well. Did you? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you find that chicken gun, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I heard stories about it. Yeah, the frozen chicken. So. That's fascinating. So. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Miss oh, Judy thank Cook. Thank you. Come here and enjoy the Litchfield Park Museum. I know that there are specific times that this is normally open. We're open Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays from 10 to 4. And then occasionally we'll have special events on the weekend. And then we also open to anybody who wants to see it at some time that, you know, we aren't normally open. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is make an appointment. Oh, nice. And we're free. And what's oh, the phone number if somebody wanted to call and make an appointment? Okay, it's 623-535-535. You heard it here first, folks, on the Not So Native podcast, where we shock once again the native. Thank you. This inaugural season of the Not So Native podcast is brought to you by MLR Professional Tax and Accounting Service, your full service tax and accounting business. 
located at 2440 North Litchfield Road, Suite 208, Goodyear, Arizona. You can reach them at 623-505-7141 or mlrprotaxservice.com. Tax season is right around the corner. It's never too early to talk to a tax pro. Call, click, or come by 623-505-7141 or mlrprotaxservice.com. Thank you for joining us here at the Not So Native Podcast. Be sure to check us out on our website, notsonativepodcast.com, and leave a comment or two. Also, follow us on social media to get the latest update on our adventures. Until next time. Until next time.